Welcome to the CJC Weekly Bible Study, where CJC stands for Complete Jesus Christ. If your perspective of Jesus is based only on teachings from the New Testament, then your understanding is incomplete. Regarding what we often call the Old Testament, Jesus himself said, These are the very scriptures that testify about me. So won't you join us today in our study where we esteem the newer and the older testaments alike. I'm your host, Jeff Smith. And currently, we're working our way verse by verse through the first book of the Bible, Genesis. Genesis chapter 21. And the last time that we were together looking at the information, we got as far as the birth of Isaac. And not an insignificant thing in that. The birth of Isaac appears in this short little section, just verses 1 through 7. And then uh, today, obviously, we're going to pick up where we left off there at verse 8. How many of you have a Bible that actually has some sort of partition in your Bible that separates verses 7 and 8 or between verses 8 and 9? Anybody got a Bible that does that? So Esther's got one over there. Just recognize that when the Bibles that we use sometimes have a little separation, that's artificial. All right, that's not part of God's Word. The separation itself is not part of God's Word. But the committee that puts together the translation sometimes will decide where to put separations, and sometimes they'll even put a little subtitle or a subheading of what to expect next in in the next section. So in saying that, sometimes you'll find verse 8 paired up with verse 7 and what came before, and then that separation in this new section begins in verse 9. Other ones, they'll separate it so that verse 8 is the beginning of the next section. That's kind of what we're doing today, but I'm not trying to say that this, like I said, the separation is artificial. All right. So verse 8. Somebody mind reading verse 8. So the child grew and was weaned, and Abraham made a great feast on the day that Isaac was weaned. Excellent. Thank you, Mike. So which child is it? Isaac. Isaac. Yeah. So we're talking about Isaac. So we had the birth of Isaac last time. Now we have the entire period of time from the time that Isaac was born up until the time when Isaac was weaned. We have encapsulated in in that basic word grew. (laughs) All right. So we don't have a whole lot of information about that time period. And when was he weaned? It doesn't give us an age. At least it doesn't give us an age here in the Bible. There's actually extra biblical material that suggests that that was about the age of two or three. In our day and age, we're used to somebody maybe being weaned at an earlier age. In fact, maybe I should not assume that everybody knows what that means. What does it mean to be weaned? Anybody? Breastfeeding. Yeah, exactly right. You're done breastfeeding. You're able to take liquid on your own. You've now passed that milestone. And this was considered a milestone in life. In fact, like I said, at the age of two or three was typical for that period of time in that place in the world. There's even some places in the world where it's still a later age than we're used to in our society. You know, in our society, it'd be much earlier than that. Uh, So you're looking at maybe two or three years old. So it's a milestone for a child to pass that stage and to be weaned. A lot of times children wouldn't even live up to that age. Early death of a child was common enough that this was celebrated. If a child got to this stage where they were able to be weaned and you're looking at two or three years old, great, that's a festive occasion. And here we see a reflection of that because as the end of verse 8 says there, Abraham made a great feast on the same day that Isaac was weaned. Verse 9, somebody mind reading that? But Sarah saw the son of Hagar, the Egyptian, whom she had born to Abraham laughing. Excellent. Thank you very much. So we have laughing in verse 9 there in Ron's version. Ron's version says laughing. He's got, I believe, ESV? Yes. Okay. Laughing. Anybody else have something different? Scoffing. Mocking. What was that? Mocking? And you had scoffing. Scoffing. Okay. So we have scoffing. We have mocking. Making fun of. Making fun of. 
Good. So here in this room, in this small group setting, we've been able to, just in the translations we've got in front of us, come up with four different words or four different translations for one word. The word that's being used there in the Hebrew is actually also a word that uh, is related to the name of Isaac. So you remember in the naming of Isaac, it meant laughter there. So the idea of laughing, you can see where this one came from. But you also have more involved in this word, and it can be translated various ways. Laughing, scoffing, mocking, making fun of are all included in possibilities of the way that that word can be translated. You also have this word used in other places. For example, turn to chapter 26, verse 8. Chapter 26, verse 8. This is obviously, we're jumping ahead. We haven't looked at this story yet. Give you a little bit of a background. This is a story that involves Isaac and his wife at the time and a guy named Abimelech. And you go, that's a familiar name. We'll talk about it more when we get there. But anyway, here's a situation. In verse 8, there's a behavior between Isaac and his wife. And Isaac has followed the pattern of his dad and his mom in saying, hey, wherever we go, say you're my sister. Sound familiar? Have we seen that before? Okay. So Isaac ends up doing the same thing down in this uh, occasion in chapter 26. And here he has told Abimelech that she's my sister. But in verse 8, Abimelech is looking out a window and he sees some behavior between them. What does it say in verse 8? Anybody want to read that one? Now it came to pass when he had been there a long time that Abimelech, king of the Philistines, looked through a window and so and there was Isaac showing endearment to Rebecca his wife so here we have that same word that's being used over here in chapter 21 over there it's translated as what showing endearment right so I'm gonna write that over here showing endearment but I'm gonna guess that there might be some other translations out there anybody have something different caressing caressing hmm that's not on this list <laughs> Nor is showing endearment. Making sport? Sporting. 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 <laughs> Olympic event? <laughs> I mean, I don't know. What else? Any other translations that we have out there? Any other? Fondling. Fondling. The Revised Standard Version has fondling. Read verse 9. Somebody read verse 9. Any volunteers? Then Abimelech called Isaac and said, quite obviously, she is your wife. So how could you say she is my sister? Isaac said to him, because I said, lest I die on account of her. So we have in verse 9, Abimelech says, obviously, <laughs> she's your wife. Based on the behavior that he saw at the window, the behavior having to do with the translation of this word. So some sort of behavior that was being engaged in, that was being witnessed by Abimelech, led him to the conclusion, obviously, this is not a brother and sister relationship. Obviously, they are husband and wife. So there, in addition to these possibilities of the way that it could be translated, you have, if you look at the same word over in that story, more possibilities that you could add to the list of how the word could be described as to what Ishmael is doing to Isaac. So now the list is big. How are we going to narrow this down? All right. Here's what I would suggest. I like to let the Bible interpret the Bible whenever possible. That led us to this, though. It made a bigger list. Kind of messy. How about we look at another place? How about you turn to Galatians chapter 4, verses 28 and 29. Galatians 4, 28 and 29. Paul, in speaking to the listeners in the churches in Galatia, 
uses this passage that we've looked at in Genesis chapter 21, and he gives a rendering. Galatians 4, 28, 29, somebody mind reading that. Now you, brothers and sisters, like Isaac, are children of promise. At that time, the son born according to the flesh persecuted the son born by the power of the Spirit. It is the same now. Excellent. Thank you, Monica. Paul is writing in Greek. Greek is a very precise language. Paul is writing in Greek, and he's choosing a word to describe his understanding of this passage that we're looking at today in Genesis, chapter 21. So Paul, in the Greek, uses a word that says persecuted is what Ishmael was doing to Isaac. So if you removed Paul and what he was saying, our list was pretty big. It could have been that Ishmael was laughing. It could be that Ishmael was scoffing or mocking. could be that Ishmael was making fun of. could be that Ishmael was showing endearment. Or it could be that Ishmael was caressing or sporting or even fondling Isaac. These are all possibilities in the Hebrew word because it can be translated broadly. And Paul chooses for his purposes to say that word over there in Genesis chapter 21, what Ishmael was actually doing to Isaac was persecuting him. Okay, We don't know what that looked like. We don't know if he was behind the scenes and making fun of him. We don't know if there was actually maybe some physical abuse going along with it. We don't know what it looked like. But for Paul's purposes, the emphasis he's drawing out of it is saying persecuted. Now, I believe Paul, inspired by the Holy Spirit, writes the words that he writes. And so I take that as having some weight when trying to interpret Genesis chapter 21. All right? Now, before you go back to Genesis 21, though, Keep a thumb or keep a piece of paper or something in this Galatians section because we're going to be coming back to it today. All right. So while you're holding your place somehow in Galatians 4, let's go back to Genesis chapter 21. So whatever Ishmael is doing to Isaac, it causes mom, all right, it causes Sarah to be upset. She decides to take action. It's upsetting enough that she demands that Abraham do something about it. And she won't just leave it open-ended as to what to do. She's going to have some advice for him and tell him, this is what you are to do in this situation. That's how upset she is. So going back to Genesis chapter 21, and now let's start, or let's resume then, with verse 10. Somebody mind reading verse 10? Wherefore, she said unto Abraham, cast out this bondwoman... And her son, for the son of this bondwoman shall not be here with my son, even with Isaac. Excellent. Thank you, Mike. Cast out this bondwoman, this slave woman. Throw them out. That kid of hers has no right to any of the inheritance my kid's going to have. That kid of hers doesn't deserve what my kid should be getting when it comes time to inherit, right? That's what she's saying. She's making a really strong statement. In fact, the statement is so strong that it's actually against the law for her to cast out a competing son. She is not allowed to do that. In fact, we'll find out from the next verse, Abraham's distressed. He's distressed probably for two reasons. Number one, he's got a bond with Ishmael that she doesn't have because Ishmael is his son. But it's not Sarah's son. 
And even though she concocted the whole plan, it's still Abraham's son. And so he's disturbed, number one, because it's his son, and he's going to have a bond with this boy that she's never going to have. And number two, she's proposing something that would be illegal to do. All right, And some of your commentaries will draw that out and say, according to a contract that was found in the Newsy tablets, which is close in time to this period, it was illegal for a woman, uh, the mother of the household or the primary wife, to throw out the child of the competing wife, Okay, to cast out the child of the competing wife. There's a possibility that maybe she's looking for a loophole in this in the sense that she's telling Abraham to do it. And number two, there's this possibility in releasing or getting around it or finding a loophole that you'll find that when Abraham, he doesn't just cast out the son, he casts out mom too and giving her her freedom. And in doing that and giving her her freedom, what you're doing also is she has to relinquish all the rights basically that her son would have on any of the property within the clan. So there's all kinds of dynamics that are going on right now. But this idea is that she's basically saying something that's like gray area, borderline (laughs) illegal to do. And she's saying, get rid of him and get rid of her. And for Abraham, that's going to be a hard choice to make. But this whole phrase that comes out in verse 10, where it says what? Cast out this bondwoman and her son, for the son of this bondwoman shall not be heir with my son, namely with Isaac, Also in the New Living Translation, it has it this way. So she turned to Abraham and demanded, get rid of that slave woman and her son. He is not going to share the inheritance with my son, Isaac. I won't have it. All right. So this is is what she's saying that her husband needs to do. This wording right here, Paul uses, flip back again now to Galatians 4. Paul uses pretty much in that same passage we were just visiting. If you go over to Galatians chapter 4, Uh, draw your attention in particular to verse 30. We'll start there. We'll start at the small seed of the passage we just read. Somebody mind reading verse 30. But what does the scripture say? Cast out the slave woman and her son, for the son of the slave woman shall not inherit with the son of the free woman. All right, so as a foundation then, we would all recognize, I'm, I'm hoping, that's the language we just pulled out of chapter 21 of Genesis, right? That's the same wording. So what I'm trying to do is, is make a link first and foremost. The link being this. Paul, you can read it right there in verse 30. That language he's using in verse 30, he's drawing out from Genesis. He's drawing out from Genesis chapter 21, the passage we're just looking at. So what is he talking about? I mean, what's the big deal? Now we have to back up a little and get a little bit of a bigger picture. How about starting with verse 21? Tell me, you who desire to be under the law, do you not hear the law? Okay. In context, here's what's going on. Paul is writing to an audience and he's saying there are people that have snuck in. And they're trying to insist that the way to salvation is through behavior. They're trying to insist that the way to salvation isn't grace. It's about obedience to the law. And they're trying to insist that grace is replaced by obedience. Now, you and I know, hopefully, in our studying together of God's word, obedience should be there in connection with faith, but obedience is not a replacement for faith. All right? So here's this group, and they're saying, you need to do this, and you need to do that, and you need to do this other thing in order to be saved. And Paul is saying, no, 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 that is not the case. And in particular, he talks about observance of festivals or observance of days, and he talks about circumcision. And the group that comes in is insisting on those things. Paul is saying, no, that doesn't save you. Those things don't save you. It's about being saved by grace through faith, as we would find in Ephesians. 
All right. So Paul, in talking to them, he says, tell me, you who desire to be under the law, do you not hear the law? So he's saying to the group that is being persuaded by this people that have snuck in that, oh, we got to obey the law. Oh, we got to be obedient. That's how we get saved. He's saying, do you know what the law says? Verse 22, for it is written that Abraham had two sons, the one by a bond woman, the other by a free woman. Who is he talking about? Who are the women? Who are the sons? Hagar and Sarah are the women. Who are the sons? Ishmael and Isaac, right from the passage we're talking about. Who's the free woman? Sarah. Sarah, she's the free one. Who's the slave woman? Hagar, exactly right. So who's the son of the free woman? Isaac. Isaac, and who's the son of the bond woman or the slave woman? Ishmael. So we got the players now, right? So we got the perspective that Paul's assuming of his audience as he's writing to them. For it is written that Abraham had two sons, the one by a bondwoman, the other by a free one. But he who was of the bondwoman, who's that? Ishmael. Was born according to the flesh, and he of the free woman through promise. Do you get what he's referring to then? The son of the bondwoman was Ishmael, right? And it was born according to the flesh. That was concocted in their own fleshly desires, in their own plans, right? That was of their own devising. That's the son of the flesh. The son of promises, when God was saying, you're going to have a son, and promise after promise after promise, and the promises got more and more specific, as it ends up happening, Isaac is the son of the promise. Isaac is the son of promise. Ishmael is the son of the flesh. Verse 24, which things are symbolic, which things are a midrash, if you use David Stern's language. These are things, he's, he's using this story from Genesis chapter 21 as an illustration of what he wants to say or the point he wants to make as he's talking to his audience. He's saying those women and those boys serve as an overlay of the situation we find ourselves in today is what he would be saying. Okay, and here's the situation. Which things are symbolic? I'm in verse 24. For these are the two covenants, the one from Mount Sinai, which gives birth to bondage, which is Hagar. So he's equating Hagar with the law that was given on Mount Sinai to Moses. All right. And then in verse 25, for this is Hagar in Mount Sinai in Arabia and corresponds to Jerusalem, which is now and is in bondage with her children. What is he talking about? He's talking about his fellow Jews in Jerusalem, Jerusalem being the capital city of the land. And basically what's going on? Everybody is kind of under the spell of going through the routine or the motions of being obedient. And they're not realizing it. that's not the way to salvation. So he's basically saying this whole group that I find myself a part of they're all under this spell and thinking that this is how you earn salvation. And that's all equated with Hagar, which is all giving birth to bondage. And verse 25, for this is Hagar in Mount Sinai in Arabia and corresponds to Jerusalem, which now is and is in bondage with her children. Verse 26, but the Jerusalem above is free, which is the mother of us all, for it is written, rejoice, O barren, you who do not bear. Break forth and shout, you who do not travail, for the desolate has many more children than she who has a husband. And then he makes it even more emphasis now in verse 28. Now we, brethren, talking to his audience, right? To the members of the churches in Galatia. Now we, brethren, as Isaac was, our children of promise. He's saying this thing that we've got going on, this saved by grace through faith thing that we got going on, we're likened unto Isaac, the promised child. And then verse 29. But as he who was born according to the flesh then persecuted him who was born according to the spirit, even so it is now. He's referring exactly to this passage. He's saying, but just as it was back in those days with those characters from our Old Testament, those characters from the Tanakh that we recognize, 
Just as Ishmael persecuted Isaac, so do the people who continue to subscribe to the idea that salvation is by obedience persecute those who recognize salvation is by grace. That's the whole point that Paul's trying to make in using this illustration, this story, that those who continued on in that pattern, in the larger group, that basically were saying, this is the way you got to get saved. you got to get yourself circumcised. you got to observe this, this. And he's, the group that would be saying that, he's saying, those are likened unto Ishmael. They have no claim to the inheritance that God has in mind for the son of promise. And we are like that son of promise. In our inheritance that we look to, the avenue is through grace, through faith. It's not through obedience in place of grace and faith. All right, everybody on the same page? <laughs> All right, now you can let Galatians go. You can go back to Genesis. Genesis chapter 21. Somebody might read verses 11 and 12. And the matter was very displeasing in Abraham's sight because of his sin, but God said to because Abraham... Because of his sin? Because of his son. Sorry. There you go, good. <laughs> I was starting to go. And the matter was very displeasing in Abraham's sight because of his son. But God said to Abraham, Do not let it be displeasing in your sight because of the lad or because of your bondwoman. Whatever Sarah has said to you, listen to her voice, for in Isaac your seed shall be called. All right, so imagine, picture the picture, all right? So everything started off, perhaps yesterday, as a festive occasion, right? Dad put together this feast on the very day that Isaac was weaned. And a feast is a festive occasion. You're going to invite people to partake at the table with you that you don't normally invite. You're going to have (laughs) foods laid out on the table for everybody that you don't normally have prepared. And everything seemed to be going well until Mama got mad. Mama Bear got mad, right? (laughs) And all of a sudden the party went downhill real fast, all right? So apparently, I'm I'm imagining, he's he's in bed at night thinking, "Mm, man, this is not a good situation. Because if Mama ain't happy, ain't nobody happy, right? Mama's mad, Sarah's mad. And she wants me, Abraham, thinking you're Abraham, she wants me to do something that's borderline illegal. I'm not comfortable doing this. And he's my son. He's my firstborn. I waited a long time for a kid. And this is the kid that came along. I'm happy with him. In fact, I even asked God, could it please be him? And God told me, no. Okay, I can get over that. I'm still working through it. All right. But anyway, he's, he's in bed, and he's going probably through all these things. And he's probably feeling somewhat affronted by his wife, right? Because he may have, I'm guessing, she's gone overboard. She's gone too far. She's asking of me something I'm not willing to do. We don't know if he was asking for God's guidance. We don't know if he was asking for his guidance or if he was even praying or if he was just thinking about these things when God brings a message to him. And the message is, don't worry about it. Do what she says. Yeah. Yeah. Ooh. There you go. Right? Isn't it? That's wisdom. (laughs) could you imagine his reaction to that you're taking her side on this god why are you on her side that's a crazy suggestion in the first place and now you're telling me to do the same thing this is an example of sometimes god can do everything he has planned through some really weird means right (laughs) things that we might account as crazy suggestions and overreaction, and relationships that are strained that shouldn't be strained, and perhaps God can use stuff like that to accomplish his perfect will? It sounds like this didn't take God by surprise, right? If you look at those words, God's going, you know what? I got this. 
This is not a surprise to me. This is not outside the realm of what I plan to do. In fact, this is in accordance in the direct line of what I plan to do. Hard. Yeah, don't let this rattle you. Don't let this rattle you. Preface there. There you go. Exactly right. So Abraham, what does he do? Does he resist God? Because sometimes, sometimes I'll admit, I'll admit that if I if I feel like God's saying do this, and I think it's crazy, I might say that's crazy. I I I can't I can't believe that would be God. God wouldn't tell me to do that. If you know the story that's coming soon after this one. God's going to tell him to do something even more crazy. Maybe God gets us in positions where he encourages growth in us with the idea to see us succeed in obeying to the idea that we can be trusted to go through a harder test. So this is a hard test. And God is saying, I got this. In Abraham's mind, he's probably thinking, what's going to happen with my son now? I've poured, by this point, 16 or 17 years into this kid's life. And now I have to just send him away? I had high hopes for him. But doesn't God actually address high hopes for him? Verse 13, yet I will also make a nation of the son of the bondwoman because he is your seed. So Abraham's concern for his son and what's going to become of him now has to be left in God's hands. When God says, I can take care of this. I got this. I planned this out all along. Sometimes we have something dear and precious to us that God would say, are you willing to place it in my hands? Are you willing to completely surrender it? Are you willing to trust me that I know what I'm doing? Are you willing to let it go and just let me provide and protect and secure? Because that's what he's being asked to do. We don't know that he's ever going to see Ishmael again. In fact, the next time Ishmael comes up is when he comes to help bury his father. This could be their last time together. So what ends up happening? Verse 14, somebody might reading that one. So Abraham rose early in the morning and took bread and skin of water and gave it to Hagar, putting it on her shoulder along with the child and sent her away. And she departed and wandered in the wilderness of Beersheba. Thank you, Ron. So he gets up early in the morning. His obedience is prompt. It's quick. And he does that hard thing that's being asked of him by God. Kudos for that, right? I mean, as difficult as it is, he responds and obeys immediately. I try to impress upon my kids this idea that you obey the first time. If I tell you to do something or mom tells you to do something, it's important to obey the first time. Don't put us in a position where you have to be told twice. Does that work? No. <laughs> Not yet. <laughs> We're still training them, right? <laughs> they are kids. All right. But that's the idea I want them to eventually get to where they obey the first time. Abraham's obeying the first time. All right. So he, he gets up early in the morning. Uh, one of the ideas, too, is in the area that they live. I mean, that can be a very hot area. If you're going to be traveling somewhere, you want to be doing your traveling and be done by noon if you can. But there's no disclosure as to where to go. I mean, as far as they know, it's just send them away. Send them away. And so what does he provide? He provides a little bit of something for them. He provides them bread. That word that's translated bread could actually be broader than just what you and I would think of as a loaf of bread or a biscuit. All right. It, it actually could include non-bread items, but it's provisions. Okay. It's, it's stuff to eat. And then a skin of water. If you're not familiar with that term, they didn't have canteens. Mm-hmm. 
all right? <laughs> they had uh, an animal skin that was sewn up in such a way that it would carry water. That was the way you would transport your liquid that you would need to drink as you're wandering through a desert, all right? So he gives them provisions in the form of food and drink, and then he puts it on Hagar's shoulders, and he sends the two of them away. And they depart, and they wander. And that word there that's translated wander, it has the idea of no, no set destination, all right? So they're sent away. They're sent out, and they're wandering in the wilderness of Beersheba, in verse 15, and the water in the skin was used up and she placed the boy under one of the shrubs. So they've wandered now until the water's exhausted. All right, there's, there's nothing left to drink. You're not going to last very long in a desert with nothing left to drink. And they end up in verse 16, then she went and sat down across from, them, uh, across from him at a distance of about a bow shot. If you're not familiar with a bow shot or, or if archery is not something you're familiar with, I mean, maybe imagine a football field, okay? Imagine something akin to that. So they're out and wandering around. The boy's probably 16 or 17 years old by now, but now he's fatigued and he can't go any further. And she abandons him. She leaves him under the shade of a bush and moves about a, a bow shot away, 100 yards away or so, because she doesn't want to see him die. All right, that's how convinced she is that they're basically done. All right, we don't know. When God said to Abraham, when God said to Abraham, I'll take care of it, we don't know if Abraham said, and by the way, God says he'll take care of you. We don't know if there were any words exchanged at all. So she may not have the information that Abraham got when he sent them off. All right. Verse 16, then she went and sat down across from him at a distance of about a bow shot, for she said to herself, let me not see the death of the boy. So she sat opposite him and lifted her voice and wept. Most of our translations are going to reflect that it's Hagar that's sobbing. It's Hagar that's weeping, right? And in fact, in the Hebrew, it's pretty clear. The words that are translated lifted and voice and wept are all in the singular feminine. They're all clearly referring to Hagar. What does it say in verse 17, the start of the verse? God heard the voice of the boy. God heard the voice of the boy. Kind of interesting. So Hagar's the one crying, but it says in the next verse, but God heard the voice of the boy. This God hears part, in verse 17, God hears. You see it twice, actually, in this verse. All right, And God heard the voice of the lad. The angel of God called to Hagar out of heaven and said to her, What ails you, Hagar? Fear not, for God has heard the voice of the lad where he is. Do you remember what Ishmael's name means? God hears. So here we have a play on his name, that God hears the boy, and we have it twice. It's emphasized twice there in that verse. So the angel of God called to Hagar out of heaven and said to her, What ails you, Hagar? Fear not, for God has heard the voice of the lad where he is. Verse 18, Arise, lift up the lad, and hold him with your hand, for I will make him a great nation. So if she didn't have the news before, she has it now. If God's going to make you into a great nation, are you going to die under that bush? <laughs> no. All right? So she's getting good news, right? God doesn't have to say your boy's going to survive. He says much more than that. He says, I'm going to make him a great nation. So that means not only is he going to survive, he's going to thrive. All right. Verse 19. Somebody might reading that one. Then God opened her eyes and she saw a well of water. So she went and filled the skin with water and gave the boy a drink. God providing water in the wilderness. God providing water in the desert. I love that. I love that idea. Okay. I'm, I'm going to try to refrain, but I'll, I might end up coming back to that idea in a few minutes. Verse 20. Somebody might reading that one. So God was with the lad and he grew and dwelt in the wilderness and became an archer. Excellent, thank you. And then verse 21. And he dwelled in the wilderness of Haran, and his mother took him a wife out of the land of Egypt. Excellent, thank you, Mike. The land of Paran there is, just think of Arabia, all right, theory of Arabia now. 
and then took a wife for him from the land of Egypt. Why would she take a wife for him from the land of Egypt? She's Egyptian. She's Egyptian. Mm -hmm. That's her homeland. All right. So she finds a wife for her son. And obviously, much time has passed. Okay? Time is passing as we're reading these verses. This is probably not the same day. All right? <laughs> All right? So she ends up getting a wife for him from the land of Egypt, from the land that she is from. Okay? All right. I need to go back to that idea of water in the desert. All right? What does that conjure up for you? I mean, we haven't gotten to the book of Exodus yet. Moses, right? And the water coming from the rock and the people being sustained. And you're talking maybe two million people in the desert. Being able to find water in the desert, that's a crazy idea, especially for two million. And God is able to provide. What have we seen so far? Is God able to provide? Is my arm too short? God would say in one place, is my arm too short to save? No, he can do it. He can do all things. Does God keep his promises? Yes, he keeps his promises, right? So when he says, I'm going to make your boy into a great nation, here we have the progression of that. And we'll see again as we look later, later, later in the book of Genesis how that comes to fruition. We're going to actually see the names of Ishmael's sons, okay? But for all intents and purposes, here exits from the stage then in this drama some key figures. We see basically Ishmael and his, uh, his mom, Hagar, are now pretty much out of the narrative. So now it's down to basically Abraham, Sarah, and Isaac. And it's through Isaac that God plans to do his great things. And we've known that all along, and we've seen that all along. All right. One other thing that I think about as well, I can't help but read this story when I find that God reveals to Hagar this well, this water all right, in the land that she didn't see before. Another story where Jesus, Yeshua, in John chapter 4, is at a well, and he's speaking to a woman. right? And if you know that story, go to John chapter 4. And we'll just read maybe four verses from that. John chapter 4, we're going to look at some of the highlights. Turn to verse 13. Verses 13 and 14. Jesus is having a conversation from this woman of Samaria. He's not supposed to talk to her. She's not supposed to talk to him. Why are they talking together? Well, the disciples aren't babysitting. They're gone to get some food. And while that's going on, Jesus does something he's not supposed to be doing. He's talking to this woman of Samaria, this woman of Samaria. And he says in chapter 4, verses 13 and 14, Jesus answered and said to her, whoever drinks of this water will thirst again. He's referring to the water at the well. He's saying, whoever drinks of this water will thirst again, but whoever drinks of the water that I shall give him will never thirst. But the water that I shall give him will become in him a fountain of water springing up into everlasting life. When we're in our deserted places, as we are followers of God, as we're followers of Jesus, of Yeshua, this is what our life should be looking like. If not on the outside... On the inside, there should be water flowing out, living water, all right? This is, this is like sustaining life in a desert. You can't have life in a desert without water. And Jesus is offering water that doesn't end. As it goes down, go to verses 25 and 26. We'll close with these two verses. The woman said to him, I know that Messiah is coming. I know that Messiah is coming, who is called Christ, the anointed one of God. When he comes, he will tell us all things. And then what does he say there in verse 26? How many am I reading that? I am the Messiah. I am the Messiah. Jesus reveals himself to her, to this, actually, a woman in the first place. In that setting, that was kind of awkward. That was weird. You know, it's not. And to a woman that's of a group that you're not supposed to be associating with. Jesus, you're a Jew. She's a Samaritan. And he's telling her, I'm that Messiah. This good news that he has to reveal isn't excluded from her. Just as the good news he would give to us, that same good news is, is, is something we shouldn't be picking and choosing who we're to exclude. This is good news that's for everybody. 
So one other thing to think about in this idea of Hagar and Ishmael and Sarah and Isaac, Isaac is the son of promise. Isaac is the one who's going to share in the inheritance. But as Paul's words make clear, Ishmael is not excluded. The descendants of Ishmael are not excluded any more than the descendants of Isaac get an automatic free ride. Okay, So it's not about who you're related to. It's about how you respond to God. And when we respond to God in faith, in believing faith, that's our way of salvation. It's not through vain obedience or mechanics of following ordinances. All right. All right. Let's go ahead and end there and close in prayer. All right. Heavenly Father, we thank you, Lord, for this opportunity to look at this important and interesting passage that sometimes it's easy to overlook the connections to, uh, to what we would find in other places. We thank you, Lord, for the words of Paul that provide for us some ability to grasp and wrestle with this information and understand what it means in that setting and also in our lives. We pray that you would help us, Lord, to live inclusively in the sense that we don't withhold such good news from maybe people that uh, we might consider on our own lists as outsiders. Help us not to have eyes that would see that way. Help us instead, Lord, to be willing to share this good news with outsiders, with people that we might consider ineligible. Thank you, God, for meeting us here today. And thank you, Lord, that your word is consistent and that we can pour our lives into it with no concern about ever being disappointed or deceived. Thank you in Jesus' name. Amen. 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 All right. Praise God. You guys have a great